to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Ahoy hoy! And Daniel. Hey! Today we'll be discussing Season 6, Episode 5, which is held Truth and Consequences. The episode aired on November 4th, 1999. Lauren, what was going on that week 23 years ago? The New York Yankees defeat the Atlanta Braves four games to one to win the 1999 World Series. Yankees closing pitcher Mariano Rivera. Rivera, yeah. Mariano Rivera is named Series MVP. Daniel said you said this was pretty uneventful. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, four games to one. So the the Braves, I think, probably won the token like game four. So it was that you know they, you know how they have in in some sports the the polite sweep, the gentleman sweep, where yes. it's <laughs> it's five games, but it was basically a sweep. So this is the peak of the uh, Yankee dynasty here. So is that correct? Will yeah. Okay. Weird. All right. You've never heard of Will Chamberlain? I've heard. I always thought it was Will Chamberlain. So I learned it's, something. Is it, am I wrong? It's Wilt, no, it's, right? No, it's Wilt. Yeah, you have it right. Yeah. Wilt Today the Stilt. Yeah. Wilt Chamberlain, widely considered to be one of, if not the best players, not just in professional basketball history, but in all of sports history, and Lauren didn't know his name, died at age 63 due to heart failure. Purportedly slept with over 10,000 women in his life. And Jesus. Called that a slow Tuesday, I believe is the joke. Yeah, he was. But he was one of those, like, generational uh athletes where they literally had to change the rules of the sport because he was so good like they had to change parts of the game to make it harder for him to be good so it's the spooky season for movies once again it's house on haunted hill the horror movie starring jeffrey rush fomka johnson johnson jansen fuck it tay diggs and ollie larder Probably got that one wrong, too. Debuts and takes the number one spot at the box office. I can't read today, folks. Okay. just say it's Gene, I should have just said starring Jeffrey Rush, Gene Gray, and Tay Diggs. Yeah, that one I, I would have been able to say Gene Gray and known exactly who we were talking about. And the nearly unstoppable juggernaut that is the hit single Smooth by Santana featuring Rob Thomas is your new number one song. Get used to it. I heard this nonstop as a child, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It is, it, it's a jam. And I feel like I have the video memorized, too. Like, I feel like I saw the video played so many times on either MTV or VH1 around this VH1, time. VH1, nonstop. Yeah. I never saw the video. It's, I mean, it's not anything special. Like, it's it's a total, like, by-the-numbers music video, but just that repetition of seeing it over and over and over again. Like, I just feel like it's burned into my retinas. It's like the Saturday mornings, the VH1 used to do a top 10 of the week, and this was, mm-hmm. like, number one for, like, at least, like, it felt like a two years, but oh yeah, yeah. This is definitely one of those things of like, oh shit. Like I, I am. We're reaching my. We're definitely fully into my. Uh, we've reached my point of awareness. Like I am now mm-hmm. aware of most of these things. Of like, oh god, I remember sitting in front of the TV and seeing this music video played over and over and over again. And I'm still not quite there. All in due time. You're. I'm we we always there. forget you're the baby. So we'll get not there. by not by much, but probably in another like month or two, I'm gonna start. You know, and it, it, all it takes is a couple of years difference. I was gonna say we, we were stuff. We were talking about that in the group chat last night. How there's those micro generational differences where if you were born like six months later or six months earlier than another person, you could have entirely different experiences and entirely different like childhood touchstones, like things that things that you things that I might hold to be like 
oh, just like central parts. But like that Toys R Us thing I showed you last night, like there mm-hmm. was that that artwork we saw of this guy who had, had done like a whole tribute thing to the experience of being a kid in the early 90s standing in front of the Toys R Us game section where you had to pull the little tickets out of the pouch and take them up to the counter mm-hmm. and get your get your game from the cabinet. Like, oh, yeah, that spoke to me on an organic level. And I showed it to Lauren and Lauren basically like farted on it like she just was like this t- <laughs> she was like i recognize that this is good artwork but this means nothing to me nostalgia wise like this yeah. has this, this doesn't fart do it on it me. i was just like i have no idea why why this is what this is and, and again I, like I said micro, micro differences in generation because you're only it's not like you're like five years younger than me no. you're only like 18 months or two years or whatever I, it is i think by the time i was cognizant of games and wanting to like get my own, I was either renting them more often than buying them, or I was um, at the you know the age where you had to just go ask somebody like, "Hey, I want this one," and point to it, and they'd get it. Mm-hmm. No ticket. And, yeah, and that's essentially what this system was. And yeah. also, too, uh, Toys R Us was also more often the place where you would go to look at games. <laughs> you would very rarely ever actually buy games at Toys R Us because they were usually the most expensive. Like you could find them cheaper at Kmart or Sears or by at least at least five to ten dollars. Yeah. Usually. But it was this I, amazing visual to stand in front of all the like artwork of all the different the box art. So that trip down memory lane uh, aside, uh what else was on? At eight PM Friends with the episode The One on the Last Night at 8.30, Jesse with the episode Jesse's Flat Tire. At 9 p.m., Frasier with the episode Rivals. And at 9.30, Stark Raving Mad with the episode Fish Out of Water. This week's episode had 28.6 million viewers tuning in, down just a little bit from last week. This week's episode is directed by Steve DeJarnot. DeJarnot. Too bad I never got it. Too bad I... Too bad I never got around to pronouncing his name correctly because this is his last episode. Second of two... Uh, he also directed Masquerade from last season. And this week's re- episode is written by first-time writer on the show, R. Scott Gimmel, who is uh, kind of a long-term guy after this point. Um, he's doing his first of 32 episodes through 2007. Um, he is also known for being a producer on JAG, NCIS LA, and The Unit. And no Luca or Lizzie Corday this week. You'll have to make do with just me. I'm sorry. Um, and again, no previously on this week. I, we, I, I'm pretty sure we're just throwing in the towel at this point that there's going to be any of those, at least yeah. on the streaming services. So. I, I don't think because I'm the files I, I, I have, I think, are DVD rips and I don't have them on there. It's I'm not seeing it on mine either. So, yeah. Um, no, you mean you totally have fully legal copies of absolutely. <laughs> I watch every every single ad on who I watch them twice, as a matter of fact. Anyway, uh, we open the episode. Mark's walking to work, and Malucci almost runs his over with runs him over with his bike. And Mal- of course, Malucci isn't wearing a helmet. Why would he? Of course. And Malucci is randomly asking about Carrie's leg, and wants to know if Mark wants to ride on wants to ride to work on his bike. It gets weirder. <laughs> I would also like to point out, this is a pet peeve of mine. He is a double, triple, quadruple asshole for riding his bike on the sidewalk in the middle of a busy sidewalk downtown downtown not supposed to pretty do that sh- pretty sure pretty sure if you were doing that downtown and there's a lot of people around someone would just shoulder shoulder yeah, check you you get shoved into traffic yeah Ugh. especially in that area where it's closer to like some of the offices and stuff yeah yeah um if you're on the sidewalk with a bike you best be walking it mm-hmm. is that the usual uh chicago bridge that they're on there the, the yeah usual that's the usual location. i believe 
That's the one by where we took the pictures and stuff. Yeah. Um, but then we go over to Jeannie is playing with Carlos and Reggie gets home from his shift. He was home late from a hit and run that he was working on. Jeannie needs to go to work because she's now running late. And um, he, she notes that his that Carlos's med, med schedule is on the fridge and to wear gloves when changing him. Reggie's like, yep, I know, I know, I got it, go to work, you're fine. It's one of those things you know, I never would have even thought of, having mm-hmm. an HIV, po- HIV positive kids child. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. trying Just to get to wear... any children to do anything on a schedule is impossible, but imagine yeah. a situation like this where if he misses a dose, it could be, like, uh, catastrophic. Yeah, and also wearing the gloves, because, yeah. Bodily yeah, fluids. Yeah, bodily fluids, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Uh, but then... Carrie is working with a gentleman and says they don't have a prosthesis department and he needs to go to the VA. There's a little joke here about he's a crossing guard and he can't hold both his stop (laughs) sign and his whistle without a proper prosthesis. And then she just shoves the whistle in his mouth and sends him on his way. And uh, Carrie tells Malucci he can't park his bike in the lounge. Uh, We get our first patient of the episode, Jesse Keenan. He has severe abdominal pain. I... pukes all over himself and dave tries to pass him off on lucy and he gets his bike taken and malucci gets his bike taken by the crossing guard guy and crashes in the hall wackity schmackity and that brings us right into the intro with bangs five for five on bangs to start the season we come out of the intro genie is showing off some pictures of carlos to the nurses I keep like I keep having to remind myself that like next episode is genie's last regular episode what like wow like i know it feels like we're kind of limping to the finish line with genie or well it felt like we were limping to the finish line all through last season and now it feels like we're sprinting to the finish line uh in the first five episodes of this season but uh it still feels weird to think that after next week until we get to her cameo appearance way down the line we will have no more genie and no more gloria rubin to gush over for a while it's gonna be kind of weird um but we see gabe complaining about a missing chart and he accuses the nurses of moving them uh, Malik passes by and hands it to him, says it was in the suture room, which Gabe uh, protests, saying he wasn't in there. Hmm. So, in case you were wondering, the Gabe situation has not improved since last week. Uh, Carter, uh, he goes to check on Carter uh, as he's working with a patient, and he mentions that he has two tickets to a Blackhawks game behind the penalty box and invites Gabe to tag along. Uh, I would love to do that. Right? Mm-hmm. Speaking of scenes, I'm sorry we didn't get to see. Like, <laughs> chalk that up to the uh, Lucy Benton Carter Weaver dinner that we missed out on from last season. Mm-hmm. I also yeah. want to see. I also want to see Carter and Alan Alda take a field trip to a Blackhawks game. That would be great. Um, Carter is working on sealing a knife wound with Dermabond. Uh, first mention of Dermabond on the show, which is still a very commonly used uh, tool in. Definitely every ER I've ever seen Nurse Jen work in. Like, she talks about Dermabond quite a bit. Uh, And Gabe says, well, you know, we had something like that in the Army back in the 60s and took 30 years to get FDA approval for it to use it on civilians. And it's just another nice little callback to his MASH days. And then um, we have Carrie tell Gabe that his chart is absolutely illegible for a dog bite victim that he worked on. And he's he's like, yeah, I'm a physician. It's not supposed to be. And then he mentions Carrie being his student in front of Carter. Carter is reasonably amused by this. And Carrie continues to go, you can't even read that. And he goes, yeah, it's for security purposes. So he's continuing to mask and play this off very charming. But it's just like he's just completely illegible at this point. 
And um, she's like, it wouldn't be a problem if you just entered your stuff into the computer. And he complains, the computers are, they they crash, I lose all my stuff. And Carter, being a good boy, offers to help him learn the computer system, which is very nice. Good boy, Carter. Isn't, is Um, is that, that's a symptom of Alzheimer's slash dementia, right? Is the handwriting goes really Mm -hmm. bad? Yeah, I I feel like I've, I feel like I saw that in maybe like a textbook or something where it was like, a person with early stage dementia or something writing a sentence and then like within six months a year 18 months whatever and it's just like by the time you get to the end it's just scribbles yep and yeah and the, the reading comprehension goes with it too, sure so they're kind of hand in hand um but then elaine is here to see carter why and asks him to have a word why last episode mm. last episode last episode last episode and then Malucci approaches Gabe to ask about Carrie's leg because he heard that they had a history. And Randy judges him for this and tells him that he should ask Carter because Carter lived with her. I do sort of like the way he perks up when when that fact comes out. He's like, oh, really? Like, yeah. <laughs> interesting. Um, then Megan, Meg and Carol are in an exam room uh, for, for Meg. Uh, she gave up caffeine. She's trying to get enough rest. Giving up caffeine was the worst. <laughs> Honestly, that was like that had probably that was probably the worst part when I broke both my arms. Was like that was forced caffeine withdrawal because I couldn't lift a coffee cup anymore. Mm. So, just by the time I could reasonably do so, it that was like, oh, do I actually even <laughs> need this? I'm over it. Yeah. Um, and she's trying to get enough rest, and she got a new job at the pharmacy and gave Carol as a reference, said she's known her for a few years. Uh, something is strange when Carol examines her and asks if she's been, she, Carol asks if she's been taking any other meds. And Carol asks Helene to take the urine test up to the lab so she can get a break. Poor Carol just looks the, miserable this whole episode. I know, just like this whole, and like, this i always hope when i'm when i'm long-term friends with someone or even if i'm just like a new friend with someone i hope i'm not this kind of person you know what i mean Mm. like no you get you can just do everything for me like yeah you're the you're the you're the solution to everything right you're my new codependent resource yeah can confirm you do not do that that's nice to know uh we go from there we get our first big trauma of the episode at mark working with uh mva patient benjamin hearn 16 years old and he's a cystic fibrosis patient is that right um he's a auto versus pedestrian uh and poor carol limps after them into the trauma like never has like (laughs) never has carol been more of a mood than she is in the first half of this episode like she kind of ruins it by the end of the episode but in the first half of this episode it's like oh poor carol like it's just take is it, it episode eight where she finally pops? I believe so. Episode eight. Yeah. yeah, I believe so. So we're 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 getting there. She's she's almost free, at least from the pregnancy aspect of this. But, uh. Uh, we see Jeannie on the phone. Sounds like Carlos may not be feeling well, and she's understandably kind of panicked about that. Uh, and Carrie asks if she's gotten results back for the patient and peds that they're working on. So we'll check back on her a little bit later. And then Benton goes to help Mark out with Benjamin. And we find out he was in the hospital last year for his cystic fibrosis. And I want to point out whose films are those. Uh, Benton asks them to hold an OR because something just looks weird and he he wants to go get it taken care of. Uh, Carol kind of interrupts the 
trauma inadvertently. She thinks she's having a contraction. And so Mark tells her to go and sit down. <laughs> I got my hopes up right here that this was when Carol was going to have her baby. Yeah. I was like, no, they're not going to have her in labor for two episodes, are they? Come on. That seems cruel. I, I didn't remember what episode she had them in. So I was like, is this it? Yeah. I've had that one like circled on the calendar. Like I knew that eight was the one where she actually has the twins, but like, like you, like I was like, oh, they're no, they can't be. They can't be starting this this soon. And I was pretty sure I was like, doesn't she go into labor on the L with Kovach? Like, isn't that yes. the thing? Yeah. Spoiler. So. Now I'm not gonna be just in awe of it because I forget everything that happens on this show. But you want to hear another spoiler? No. That's where we meet Abby. Dun dun dun. Huh? On a yeah, right. on a totally like inside baseball note, Mark telling her to go sit down and her protesting, and then finally him putting his foot down and being like, "No, go sit your ass down." Has big group chat energy. <laughs> <laughs> That has a tremendous group chat energy. And it could be any one of us, too. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it, pick a day and it, it's it, pick a day and pick two names out of a hat. It could be any one of us telling the other one to go sit their ass down. It's it's usually me getting told to go fucking relax. But it could also be Jake. It could also be me. Like, it, it's it's interchangeable. It's often me. It's yeah. often me, too. It's Jake's got his relaxation routine down. He's good. He's good. Yeah. Uh, but moving on anyway, uh, Lucy and Lily are working on Jesse, um, and he ate paint. He not ate, not he just a... any paint. <laughs> lead paint. Yep. Yeah. If you're going to eat paint, kids, make sure it ain't lead paint. Yeah. Uh, he had apparently just had a bad day because he's creatively challenged. So, like, the artist form of writer's block, I guess. Yeah, I love how he's like, I'm not an artist. Picasso was an artist. Yeah. Oh, look, the exact same thing that I do with myself every single day and every single activity. I'm not a podcaster. I'm not the I'm not one of the just uh, McElroy brothers. Just don't. I'm not. This is not a real podcast. I love that you use the McElroys considering you barely listen to any of their stuff. I, and... They were the first person. The first people who popped into my head. I'm not, like I'm not Chris Antista. Extremely well known. Yeah, it was either them yeah. or Joe Rogan. And I'm glad she went with the McElroys. Yes, fair. <laughs> God, if I'm ever Joe Rogan, please put us out of our misery. Yeah, put me out of my misery. Um, anyway, but he, yeah, he tries and then he goes to try to leave. But and some would say he's not great, Bob. <laughs> yes, uh, I don't know why I didn't um, tag this earlier when we first meet him, but I guess this is the first time we get a really solid look at him when he's not puking all over himself. Uh, Jesse here is, of course, played by the most recognizable of uh, appearances in this episode, Vincent Cart. Carthesier? I think it's Carthesier. Carthesier. It's kind of a douchey last name, but what can you do? Uh, He is, of course, most famous for shitty asshole of shitty assholes, uh, Pete Campbell on Mad Men, uh, a character so creepy and unpleasant that uh, even, what, eight years before that show started like he's he's almost a full decade uh before he starts on that show and i was immediately like fuck him like just as soon as i see it, like, <laughs> but fuck this to be asshole. fair he's that way an angel too yes he also appeared in stuff like in time and angel uh yeah. but yeah just as soon as i saw him i was like oh it's just pete campbell with more hair and a higher pitch voice he to me he's more likable in mad men than he is an angel I'm gonna have to take you. That's a bold. It. That's a bold claim. Uh, do you remember his weird ass story arc in Angel? I remember him being a douchebag, but he's Angel's kid, and then like <laughs> he tries to sleep with Cordelia, and it's this whole weird edible fucking complex. Go, it's a lot. It's it's really messed up. So it's Joss Whedon, is what you're saying. It's ju- it's, it's it's just he's more likable in Mad Men. 
take your word for Gross. it. But also a uh, shout out to the ladies of uh, In a Snit podcast, a Woo! Mad Men retrospective. Our, would we call them a sister show? Uh, yes. The, yeah, okay. they're, they were uh, born out of our Facebook group. I think we can, true. We can okay. call them a spinoff at this point. Yes. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, we will be seeing plenty of Jesse throughout the episode. Um, we then see uh, Roger, an old friend from season five, coming to visit Roger Julian from the genetics department, coming down to check on Benjamin. Uh, so first time we're seeing him since the uh, Ricky Abbott debacle. Uh, and this will be the last time we're seeing him as well. This is his last appearance this episode. But uh, Benjamin's dad is also here. And dad is played by actor John Dennis Johnston, who appeared in stuff like 48 Hours, Wyatt Earp, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Twilight Zone the movie. 125 credits to his name and surprisingly not the high watermark actor for the episode. We will get somebody a little bit later on who will have even more. Impressive. Uh, Mark checks in on his best buddy, Carol, tells her to go home and get some rest. And she's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. And he's like, well, somebody's got to worry about you. Yeah, very, Doug. Very sweet best besties moment there between the two of them. And then we find out there was a tear in Benjamin's liver. And dad asks if they need to donate blood and says, I don't want Benjamin getting blood from some stranger. And he's there with uh, Benjamin's brother, Aaron, as well. He really means he doesn't want blood from a gay person. <laughs> See, and I was, maybe I've just been watching too much Oz recently, but, like, he he had big, um, like, Aryan nation energy here. Like, he had big yeah. like, Aryan brotherhood energy of, like, because I feel like there's a, a, a plot thread in Oz early on, too, where a, an inmate gets beat up, like a white supremacist inmate gets beat up, and they don't want him having a blood transfusion because it might be a come from a black person or it might come from a gay person. And it's just like, uh, so that was kind of, I don't know if that's the vibe they were going for, but it's certainly the vibe that I got off of him. I think he's just a dick. Yeah. Could be. I think he's just, I think he's just homophobic. Could very well Could. be. Anyway, uh, we are unfortunately go over to Elaine and Carter at Doc's. Uh, she's apologizing for ghosting him. Lady, do not apologize. This man has been stalking you. You set boundaries and he didn't listen. That's not ghosting. Exactly. His face goes so stern and, dissoci- and dissociating. Yeah, here. he's just kind of like yeah. glazed. Catatonic. Okay. I was like, because he's still engaged in the conversation. So, he's, But his look. Ah, okay. Fair enough. Uh, but she's getting uh, breast reconstruction and then maybe going to Europe to do some soul searching. Must be nice to be a rich white person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Carter's like, yeah, so this is goodbye. And no, she's like, no, this is thank you for, for everything. I'll send you a postcard. <sighs> I thought this was it. No, I, it gets so much worse. Right? Why does this have to have a parting shot? I thought this, as I was watching this, like I wrote in my notes in all capital letters, it's over. And it wasn't. You, you it brought wasn't. this on yourself. I played myself. Ugh. But we will deal with that in the last five minutes of the episode. But we go from there to uh, Dr. Dave asking Carter about living with Weaver and Carter with the eternal mood. Go away, Dave. Uh, Lucy, uh, he tries to talk to Lucy who says she's not talking to him and he uh, just muses why is everybody so grumpy around here <sighs> it's almost like you're the asshole Dave Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to try to find a new appreciation for Malucci after our Eric Palladino incident but it's it's tough goings 
seems like he hasn't learned much of anything from his uh, tissue box patient. From I last believe episode. you can do I, the thing. I liked his take that he just kind of needs life to slap him in the face first. Yeah, which, you know, and part of that, I guess, could be chalked up to the fact that we don't spend enough time with Malucci before he leaves us for him to be able to get that. So I mean, we get two seasons. Yeah, but like, you know, compared to some, think about, think about how uh, unpleasant and annoying uh, Archie is when he first shows up. And imagine if Archie had gotten cut off at the knees after a season and a half, you know, he would, Fair he, enough. The, the opinion of that character would be much different. I think if we hadn't spent, we hadn't spent, you know, four or five years getting to know him or, or you, Pratt. Pratt too. Yeah. Pratt, Pratt is a real arrogant little prick shit face when he shows up on Mark's last day. And uh, it's uh, a much different feeling when you get to season 15. So, but in any event, yeah. uh, we go back to Lucy uh, going over the risks with Jesse uh, re-eating paint. Once again, eating lead paint specifically. Just maybe don't. Don't do that. Uh, she asked him about the cocaine because turns out his urine tested positive. Uh-oh. Uh, he's a little bit of a smug douche uh, about the whole tortured artist and drug use kind of thing. Uh, and she, He's just auditioning for Pete Campbell. Pretty much. Like, this really is kind of like primordial Pete Campbell without the... he doesn't. The one thing he is missing from the Pete Campbell thing is that dead-behind-the-eyes sociopathic didn't we, thing. Didn't we say this was Pete Campbell if he was in creative? I th- yeah, I believe one of the innocent ladies said that, that this is what... This is what the Pete Campbell version of Don Draper would look like. Yeah. And I, I I think I could buy that. Yeah. Uh, but Lucy wants him to get into a rehab program, which he is surprisingly receptive to. So we will see how that goes for not only Jesse, but Lucy as well. And I really like the two of them together in this episode. I think it's a real great uh, patient um, doctor yeah. rapport. Definitely. Definitely. And uh, Carrie lets everyone know that they're getting traumas from an explosion in a high school science class. Uh, Victor Sutherland is the first one to come in. He's the 15-year... Excuse me. He's the 52-year-old science teacher. He's altered and had a loss of consciousness. His lungs are wet. And everything starts to go off the rails. And Carrie asks Gabe to triage the rest of the people and keep an eye on the residents. Let's see how this goes. Mm -hmm. So the other patients begin trickling in. It's an absolute fucking mess as uh, mass casualty and, you know, big accident episodes often are. Gabe is, you know, seemingly doing a pretty good job doing triage so far. Carter asks him for advice on one patient. He repeats himself, loses track of the information he was giving to Jeannie. Then Lucy asks him for an opinion and he's starting to really lose track of all the patients and treatments needed and just getting everybody confused and he grabs a chart to go check on Jesse. And then in a second, he's like, you weren't in the explosion. And then he just kind of takes a minute, watches from behind the blinds in Jesse's room. And then as he steps back out, there is this excellent slow motion and um, kind of audio distortion shot mm. as he walks through the ER where different people's voices are like the focus. Yeah. And it's, it's just incredibly well done. And... I, I, I know what this this feels like. Mm-hmm. Like, not, not necessarily from dementia, obviously, but, like, it, it almost looks like a panic attack feels. Yeah, that's kind of what I associated it with, too, as well. Like, I, obviously, they're getting it. They're, they are going for the memory impairment aspect of it, but... Yeah. And just how isolated he's feeling. Yeah. They, they sort of shoot it as almost almost as if, like, he's in a, um, a war zone. 
Like, Mm -hmm. there's all these explosions going off, but instead of real explosions, it's traumas and patience and chaos. And, like, he's just overwhelmed, you know? Like, and he is... um, One of the things I really like about this episode is, is how, like, last episode kind of beat you over the head with everybody else's perception of his disease and how it's progressing. Like it it beats you over the head with like Lucy's figuring it out. Mark is figuring it out. Like everybody around him is sort of seeing to it. And then at the very end of the episode, you have that shot of him out in the ambulance bay where he's kind of looking off into the distance and not quite, you know, not quite sure where he is. He's at with it. And this episode puts you much more inside his shoes Mm -hmm. and is much more of just like, here's what he's going through and here's what, here's what he's feeling. And, I don't know. It's, it's it's a really interesting way to progress the story. So uh, let's go into our first audio clip of the episode. Uh, Gabe gets pulled into a trauma with Carrie. Yeah. Dr. Lawrence, we need you in here. Okay, I'm in, Bagum. Carrie, what's up? Uh, I could use an extra pair of hands. His lungs are full of fluid. All right, it's the pulmonary edema from the chlorine. Still hypotensive after decompressing attention, Numa. 32 French right here. Check the belly. Let's get ultrasound in here. No, it's tied up in the other room. I'll do a DPL. Uh, Dr. Lawrence. Yeah. My EKG, um, my patient may have a sternal fracture, and with the QRS voltage, I'm afraid of tamponade. Right, so do a cardiac echo. Okay, but, but don't you... Do it. For... Just do the damn echo. What the hell is this? Peritoneal lavage kit. It's a percutaneous kit. Use the Seldinger technique. No, I want to do an open lavage. No, it's a new kit. They work well. It's a drug box. Just get me a scalpel, a couple of towel clips, a pair of rakes, and a and a, a, a curved. Uh, you know, a curved what? What? Hemostat. Yeah, yeah. Come on, hurry up. Come on, come on. It's fairly easy to use, babe. You just thread the guide wire through the thin wool needle, and then you introduce the cap. These are unreliable. Half the time you wind up in the pre-peritoneal space. Well, I think if you try. I said no, damn it. I always do an open technique. It's the gold standard. That's what I'm gonna do. Dr. Lawrence. Yeah. The finger amputation is ready for his wrist block. You seem to have everything under control here, Carrie. Another patient needs me. So things are going well. Oh, boy. Totally normal. Nothing nothing out of the ordinary in this trauma scene at all. Just do the damn... Whatever, I forget what he says. The, the echo. Like, Just do the damn echo. Uh, I don't like mad Alan Alda. Yeah, yeah. right? It, he should always be just nice and sweet and charming. Mad Alan Alda is not a good look. Or at least if he's going to be mad, be mad at someone who's actually doing something wrong. Right. Yelling at Malucci for, you know, talking out of his ass in front of a patient's family. That's totally acceptable. Yelling at Lucy for no reason. Throwing uh, kits across the room. Not great. Not great, Bob. (sighs) Not great, Gabe. (laughs) Oh, but uh, let's uh, follow that up with the audio, with our next audio clip. Uh, Carrie is in the ambulance bay with Gabe. I'm sorry, Carrie. That was unprofessional and totally uncalled for. Do you want to talk about it? There's nothing to talk about. I, I 
I screwed up. I lost my cool. It's been a while since I've had multiple casualties like that. If you were in trouble, you should have asked for help. You had your hands full. I, no, I was, I was overloaded, that's all. It happens to the best of us. You remember that time when you were... You were third year, I think. A double-decker tour mm -hmm. bus at a bridge. You know, sheared mm -hmm. off the top, remember that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was an insane trial. Mm -hmm. that, that was a little hectic. A little hectic? <laughs> There were three gurneys in every space. Everybody lost it, but you kept your cool. I don't know if I should be telling you this. What is it, Kim? There were times when you drove me nuts. You were like having 10 other students. I swear to you, you, you asked more questions than I thought was humanly possible. But it paid off. I'm proud of you, Carrie. Chief of Emergency Medicine. You were great in there. Damn, I was a good teacher. You were, and you still are, according to Carter. Yeah, well, I think you're making a big mistake with these new lavage kits, but I'll use them. It's your ER now. For the record, my way may be older, but it's still faster and better. Kind of like me. So charming at deflecting this whole situation. Mm. Mm. So when you're, talk, when you're talking about masking, there's your master class in it. Mm -hmm. right. Especially when he goes, I don't know if I should tell you this. And she thinks she's going to hear it. Right. And then he immediately turns it around on her. Loses his nerve. Is, I don't know. Is it that he's like completely deflecting at that point, or is it that he has a like genuine moment of like? Because I, again, I, like I, like we touched on at the end of last week's episode, I think he knows better than anybody what's happening yeah. to him. Oh yeah, but I think it can be a little bit of both. Yeah, it seems to me like he he really does think that it might be a good idea to at least let somebody else in on this, and even though we know as the audience, we know she already knows, um, but that he just kind of loses his nerve at the last minute. And, deflects oh this is so sad and we have two more episodes of it it's like <laughs> uh, get through this next super stupid awful uh, part yeah so we go from Ugh. go from that lovely piece of business over to carol running down to talk to meg uh confronts her about pain medication apparently her urine tested positive for opiates and asks her what drugs she's doing. Uh, Meg initially protests and tries to say that she's not doing anything, uh, but then eventually relents, saying, I'm hardly using, just so I don't get sick. So, I mean, I think an honest effort is probably trying to be made on her part to detox, but detoxing from opiates is uh, kind of a fucking bummer, gang. Like, it's Has anybody seen Trainspotting? Right? Trainspotting. <laughs> That'll fucking sober you up real quick. Watch that movie. Ugh. Technically an ER movie. Um, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> we will not make Lizzie watch train spotting no, for ER. I don't I don't think I, mean, I don't think we can. No. Okay. It, Fair enough. Just I'm just gonna tell you right now. No. Yeah, as much as I Daniel, as, as much as I love that movie and as great of a movie as it is, I don't think it is appropriate for young Elizabeth. Uh, young Elizabeth, hey. Uh, okay, it's it's cringe. It's body grossness. It's know, oh yeah, that's right. You told me. I don't know. There's that, that, yeah. that much. I mean, cringe in the sense of like, oh god, this is happening. No, there's by Lizzie's standards, there's some cringe humor in there that she would not 
get into and also the entire detox scene yeah the the, the detox scene alone is enough to to be like yeah let's maybe let's let's not but uh carol offers to get her into a program to help get her clean which you know she seems sort of receptive to much maybe not quite as enthusiastic as jesse was over on lucy's side but uh this is this is going to become a bit of a thing so keep that in your back pocket uh speaking of lucy we go over to her and she asks if psych is going to be getting jesse uh in on hold for his um inpatient rehab uh he's going to be going up for long-term admission but he can't paint only sketch Hmm. as the uh psych resident goes to go back upstairs uh carol catches him just before the elevator door closes and wants to know if they can get meg admitted and he says i just gave my last spot to a kid over in exam one or whatever it was and carol tries to campaign uh, negotiate for getting uh meg jesse's spot in rehab instead uh arguing that you know we're talking about the life of an unborn child here dun dun and uh, Ben talks to Benjamin's brother in the hall. Uh, he, the brother tested H. Oh, the brother tested HIV positive when they screened his blood, and he did. The guy, the guy is like, yeah, I wasn't sure until now. So it's like he knew he'd been potentially exposed. But and Benton offers to send him, send him to the to one of the clinics, uh, for your met for the medications, and says my old man would disown me. Mm-hmm. Which sounds like he, he's not too, he's not far off on that one, mm-hmm. based on our impression of the father. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's tried coming out to his dad before, but it's like it's it's like that meme where it's like, hmm, maybe if I express myself a little bit and everything will be okay, and then you just get punched back <laughs> in the box or something like yeah. that. Because he did it where he said his friend was gay. Yeah, and the dad was like, "You can't have that in my house." Yeah, we we do yeah. get a hard f slur there. Uh, yeah. Oof. Uh, Benton tries to encourage him to come out. Just very, very not like, no, you have to do this, yeah. but very like. It might be better. No, it, no, yeah. It's going to come out eventually. An, an, <laughs> another mile marker in Benton's kind of growth development as a, both a doctor and a person. Like, he has definitely gotten mm-hmm. a lot better with the bedside manner type, even though I know that. Oh, even though sure. I know this isn't a patient necessarily, it's still miles ahead of where he would have been in the same situation back in like season one or two um, he yeah. he wouldn't have even like talked to the kid about it in season one or two he would have just been like hey you're hiv positive okay bye. deal with that bye yeah which i patient <laughs> patient care beyond slicing what in my, with my benton economy i do sort of think it's funny that he pulls him into that room across the hall ostensibly for privacy uh, and in the background, there's like several extras that are like very much within earshot, and they're just having this full conversational volume discussion about his HIV status. And I'm like, this is not that much more private than it would have been if you'd have just stayed in the hallway. But at least he's not going to run into his. Dad. I guess so. I guess that's kind of the chief com- chief concern. But still thought yeah. it was funny. Oh, but then Lucy confronts Carol regarding the psych admission and their battle over that bed, and they get into it a little bit and. Lucy says, you're just a nurse, and I'm a... And Carol chimes in, very pregnant, very angry, and says, you're a med student. You're a what? Yeah, the the, the turn that... This is, like... This is all the shit that, like... Remember in early season five, we went through that period where everybody was like, Carol's such a bitch to Lucy. And we were all like, I don't get it. Like, I don't know what they're talking... And now I kind of get it. Like, this is really fucking rude. (laughs) I mean, I get it, but it's... A... 
because we agree with Lucy, of course we're going to take her side on this one. But even if she had a point to... But also, just Carol is very pregnant and very exhausted today, and sometimes shit happens. I definitely think Carol's in the wrong here, but I'm just saying, like, I don't think this necessarily supports the full Carol's a bitch to Lucy 24-7. No, 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 no. Theory. But, but in this particular instance... Yeah. Uh, not a great look for Carol. Yeah, not 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 her best moment. I'm on Carol's side in this. I mean, at, like, at this no, at Carol. this exact moment in time, yes, yes, at this yeah. exact moment in time, in like 20 minutes, less so. But right yeah. this moment, you're probably right. The 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 uh, welfare of the unborn child that Meg is carrying probably does outweigh. Uh, Mr. Lead Potato Chips in the corner. Like, yeah. Probably does outweigh it just slightly, but. And also, Lucy kind of. I feel like she kind of needed to be put in her place. Because she was about to pull out. You're just. Uh, yeah, you're just. Because if she's already pulling out, you're just a nurse and I'm a doctor. She's already pulling that out and she's a fourth year med student. True. I, Carol, fair. you. No, say as a as a nurse, I feel like Carol had a responsibility to like knock that straight the yeah, fuck like, out of her head. Uh, you you raise a good point. If it had been Lydia, if it had been Hale, if it had been anybody else, if it had been Malik or Yosh, we would have been like, yeah, you go. But you're right because it's Carol, and because I've spent the last season just being like, oh god, Carol. <laughs> of course, I'm gonna side with Lucy. So you yeah. raise a good point. Yeah. I don't know. I would have killed to see Yosh do this, honestly. <laughs> Yosh isn't that confrontational. Yosh, Yosh wouldn't, but can you imagine? Yeah. Just picture it for a second. Fun. Th- okay, how about Lydia? Honestly, the only one I could see like yelling in like this would be Hale or Deezer or Hale or Deezer or Malik. Malik, yeah. Fair. <laughs> My cat. No. <laughs> Let's go to our next audio clip then. Uh, Carrie and Mark are talking in the lounge about Gabe. Fine, Lawrence. Yep. And? And what? <laughs> Breckley had a meltdown in the trauma room, Carrie. That's a little melodramatic, don't you think? I don't know. I, uh... Come on, Mark. Gabe is not the first doctor to lose his temper in the heat of the moment. Over a lavage kid? You know what? He's been doing this for 30 years. He's set in his ways. He doesn't like some of the newer equipment. I know you two are close. What are you trying uh... to say, Mark? <clears throat> acting a bit strange. I think he's setting a very good example. Yeah, he's eccentric. He's also one of the best doctors that I've ever worked with. You're off to get defensive, I'm Carrie. Not. You don't like that I hired Gabe, but I did, so deal with it. Ooh. Carrie, come on, you're better than you you know better than this. Is that denial I smell? Yeah. Did anybody check to see if there were Flutie flakes today? Uh, I did actually check. Uh, the refrigerator is never visible enough for me to see. Damn. Damn. The Flutie streak ends at two episodes, I guess. <laughs> we we hardly knew ye. Darn. Uh, but we go from there to Benton talking to Ben's dad. Uh, he says that uh, they couldn't use Aaron's blood, which the dad immediately kind of perks up to. Like, mm, why? You know, and Benton does a pretty good job of covering that uh, his blood just wasn't a good match. Uh, so Minor antigen. Minor antigen differences, you know. And he seems to... Hey, that shit. That shit. It does. Sometimes. It does. It does matter. It's a perfectly legitimate explanation and works well for the purposes of what he's trying to do here. So, and for for everything it's worth, Dad seems to buy it. So, we're good for now there. But stay tuned. 
we go from there to uh, Carter talking to a kid from the high school explosion and big oh hey it's that kid energy here Mm -hmm. probably one of the quintessential child actors of the 90s i would say Mm -hmm. um patrick renna who uh appears in stuff like the sandlot you're killing me smalls uh Mm -hmm. the paulie shore vehicle son-in-law can't win them all uh, and one of the most iconic uh, video box covers of the 90s, The Big Green, where he is the goalie and he's like laying on his back. And it's a perfect like center frame shot of his face doing like a shocked face. Like even if you never saw that movie, I guarantee if you saw that poster or that that um, box art, you would be like, oh, yeah, that guy like that movie. Even if I've never seen it, I at least know what that box art looks like. Um, and in more recent, the day, the day, the day I yell at someone, you're killing me smalls and they don't understand it. That's the day I know that I've officially, oh, that one. Oh, okay. Okay. When you said, when you said goalie, I was thinking hockey. Yeah. Same. Soccer, soccer goalie. Um, yeah, that's the day I'll know I'm, I'm ancient. So speaking of that, he actually has, uh, a pretty, uh, decent social media following. Uh, and he has a son of his own now. And in every, like in all the videos and stuff that he posts with his kid, I, he pretty much universally refers to his son as Smalls. And Aww. it's really adorable. Like this guy has, I mean, he, he's made sort of like a second career out of Sandlot nostalgia. Like they, they've yeah. done a lot of reunions. I think they've gone to a few, um, they've had a few like Dodger game events centered around the Sandlot. Um so, you know, and he's very active on, like, the, the convention circuit and things like that. So, just seems like a really cool guy. I I just have to ruin it for you. Uh, according to Wikipedia, he is an avid Scientologist. Oh, uh, well, damn. you can't win them all. Darn. Well, Fuck. thanks, Lauren. <laughs> yep. Think a, a, aged like milk within two seconds. Yikes. Well, in mo- in more recent years, if you maybe don't, if you've been living under a rock and don't recognize him as a child, you may have recognized him from the TV series Glow on Netflix. He was in that recently. Uh, and Lizzie, you uh, had a particular, <laughs> particular oh, yeah, thought no, about like him. The, <laughs> the, yeah, no, it's like the, the lead singer of Green Day, uh, Billy Joe Armstrong. It's like if you if you said, oh, yeah, we have Billy Joe Armstrong at home. It's this kid. A little bit. He's got a, a, a discount. It's the nose. A store brand, it's... Billy Joe Armstrong, but also Ginger. Like, it's got that yeah. kind of thing going on. But The face. It's the face. It's not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely in the face. Uh, but uh, young man's name here is Howie. Uh, and Carter's trying to, you know, glean some information because he's relatively uninjured compared to a lot of the other p- kids and the, the teacher that have come in from this explosion. So Carter's trying to, like, pull a little bit of information out of him. And he's pretty reluctant at first, but then he says uh, he asks if uh, he'll have co- doctor-patient confidentiality if he tells him what happened. So, hmm, very curious, very very curious information here. Uh, but we go to Carrie talking to someone's dad, a patient uh, named Nathan. This is his father, Mister Perez, uh, played by definite. Oh, hey, it's that guy in like very minor roles and things. Miguel Sandoval, who appeared in stuff like Sharp Objects. Clear and Present Danger and Jurassic Park. Uh, hundred and Shooter. He no, that's not that. That's a different guy. He's the um. No, he's the one who gets. Oh no, you're he's right. The guy he's on the boat. The... He is the guy yeah, as they're right. bringing the lawyer into the island at the beginning of the movie. You're right. He's the one that has the like the amber, uh, with yeah. the mosquito in it that 
leads us into the I knew I knew he wasn't the Australian guy. That wasn't what I was getting at, but I mixed up those scenes. You're yeah. right. I, That's I fine. goofed. You thought he was the guy getting eaten? Uh, for, a, for a second, my brain did, but I'm also not all here right now. But so. He is our high watermark actor for the episode. 163 credits to his name. Still seems to be pretty active today, so good for him. Lizzie, what else was he in that you know him from? Station 19? I need to look at his face. You again. told me while we watched this. You were so excited. Sorry, quick Grey's Anatomy adjacent break oh, here for sure. a second. We, well, continue we, on. We must, okay. we must yes, explore the Grey's Anatomy expanded universe whenever possible. Yes. Uh, Carry on and Lizzie will scream about that I'm Nathan, right. the uh, high school student. Oh, yeah. See, there you go. Nathan, the high school student. No, no, yeah. <laughs> his eye is gone, and we find out that he might lose his athletic scholarship because his uh, one remaining eye is potentially going to be gone slash blinded. So. I... I, I think it was one eye is fine and the other one there sure is pretty gone and like going to be blinded. They're not sure they can recover. Yeah, it. he's so apologies. The notes. No, that's clear. okay. He's just very, uh, just, like he has like the big bandage over the one eye mm-hmm. and then he comes like dad just comes right in there and fucking lifts the bandage up, which I was like, first of all, <laughs> gross. Uh, and then just like recoils and goes out into the hallway and, and, him and Carrie have this very like heated conversation in the hallway or, or no, I think it's Jeannie who's out there with him. One of the two. Of, I think it's Carrie. Carrie's, Carrie and Jeannie both are working on this and uh, because Jeannie's about to get called away and mm-hmm. he just has this very heated conversation in the hallway about it. And it's like the poor kid, I'm sure can hear all of this on the other side of the, it's not like they're not like they're outside of a closed room. You know, he's just mm-hmm. on the other side of this wall. So <sighs> bad situation all the way around. And that guy was a, um, he was a, he's a major character in the Grey's Anatomy spinoff show, Station 19. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a show of which I do not care about anymore because they killed off too many of my favorite characters. Killed off or harmed greatly too many of my favorite characters. People, Uh, one of whom whom was in Hamilton. People die in the Grey's Anatomy verse. I know, right? But then Reggie calls for Jeannie and says it's urgent. Uh, Carlos is still sick and his pneumonia might be back. So, which has Jeannie rightly freaking out. And uh, Carrie does the good boss thing and lets her and lets her go home. And then Mr. Perez asks if they brought in Howie because Nathan says that Howie's the one who caused the explosion. They We go over to Howie's room and Howie is saying the jocks talked him into doing it switching the chemicals for a prank. Mr. Perez comes into Howie's room and Howie tells him it was Nathan's idea. Mr. Perez throws Carter into a window when Carter tries to protect Howie. Mark pulls Mr. Perez off Carter and Mr. Perez is suddenly not breathing. Uh, Carter tries to intubate him with Mark. Uh, Good intubation with the cords, but uh, his belly is filling up with air because it looks like they broke his larynx. So they've got to pull the tube and crike him, and we got breath sounds. Oh, boy. There is a whole lot going on. Lots going on. So uh, Mark's in trouble? Yeah. Maybe? Mark comes in and gives him, like, a perfect sleeper hold pull off off Mm -hmm. of him. Uh, And poor Carter. How many times is he going to go through? How many times are they going to break windows in this ER, first of all? And how many times is Carter going to be the one going through them? One might say that Carter's still going through windows to this day in County General. You might say. If you listen, you can still hear the ghost of glass breaking. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Dr. Dave is talking to Quinn 
Uh, her burns won't scar much, and she keeps freaking out. I'm gonna have scars. How temporary? How temporary are they gonna be? And she's just being a typical teenager about this. You know, who cares more about her looks than above anything else, really. And Dave just keeps trying to bail out of the conversation and pawn her off to the plastics people. And then she starts crying and says, I would rather be dead than look like this. And I want to add one editor's note here. I put typical teenager in the notes, but I should have put stereotypical teenager because the kids are actually all right. And the percentage of teenagers who would actually react like this, I'm sure is very slim, but this is a very stereotypical teenage girl response. So I just want to correct my my notes this is, there. This is a very uh, adult writing a teenage girl in the 90s yep. uh, portrayal here. Uh, yep. And Quinn, I don't think we really like specifically highlighted in the all the chaos of all the patients coming in. It was, again, a very chaotic situation. But Quinn is a, a probably, what, 15-year-old-ish yeah. teenage girl suffering from some second-degree burns uh, in it, on and around her face. Uh, so she's got a lot of bandages and stuff um, surrounding her face and head. Uh, and she is played by actress Brooke Bloom, who appeared in movies like Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, He's Just Not That Into You, and Marriage Story. Uh, we go from there uh, to Carter and Mark. And uh, I believe it is Carter s- says something to the effect of, like, you did what you had to do or, or something to that effect. And mm-hmm. uh, Mark says, yeah, something tells me Mr. Perez is going to feel very differently when he wakes up. Ooh, sticky times for Mark. Uh, Carter then checks on Howie, who is sitting with his teacher uh, in the trauma room. Uh, and it at this point doesn't appear like Mr. Sutherland has a great chance of recovery. Like they kind of make it sound like it's a wait and see deal and uh, doesn't seem like it's going to be a positive outcome. Uh, he was clearly very fond of Mr. Sutherland and thought he did a great job teaching and just, just a high school prank that got out of control. I, I love when he's like, he would sometimes mix up the chemicals, but I think he did it on purpose to keep us amused. Yeah. Like, hmm. That's, it's just, yeah. Mm. Uh, and we then see Aaron, uh, Ben's brother, uh, finally told his dad that he's HIV positive. So he's talking to Benton up in the surgical uh, desk. And uh, he found out that he's been kicked out of the house and disowned. So that went great. Um, but, you know, I guess better than to rip the band-aid off and get that over with than to continue living this lie and you know yeah i th- i think aaron says at least now i know right some or at least like at least now he knows or something like that it's all out in the open they can they can move on with it yeah, yeah. um lucy's telling jesse about the loss of the bed and jesse's fine, uh, totally cool with it he's totally sort of, normal day yeah he just says oh no i just need a real job and i don't need a shrink to tell me that i need to get my act together very normal one you probably do yeah uh then we have dave after after lucy's crushed about this dave tries to get lucy to talk to quinn because he sees how great she's been with her other patients and she's like no she's pissed of course she's not gonna go deal with dave's patient because she thinks that he's just trying to pawn her off which he is but also like would be good for her um, Carter tells Gabe that he has to cancel their hockey date and gives him the tickets in case he wants to go. And Gabe goes, ah, classic signs of woman problems. And I want to note here, random side note, Gabe is still wearing his care badge. I don't think anybody else is, but <laughs> Gabe's still going strong with it. But yeah, just a cute little, cute little thing between him and Carter about women and how women are confusing. And Gabe's been married like eight times and he still doesn't understand women. 
Um, then we find out Meg is missing. She's Ugh. not in her bed. They can't take her up to psych if she's not there. Mm. Uh. Cool. This is a real one, y'all. Everyone loses. Hooray. Ben. Except Ben. Ben is stable. Cool. So yeah. that's good. And uh, Benton asks the genetics doctor about paternity testing, if, who they use and like how they can source that out. So the genetics doctor says, yeah, just write my office and we'll get you what you need, it, need ordered through our vendor. And uh, Lucy comes in and I would argue in one of her finest hours, mm-hmm. her finest moments on the show, uh, is talking to Quinn, giving her a run through of how to treat and care for the healing skin. And it's just very warm, very comforting, very gentle, very patient. Yes, very patient with her. And just is an excellent, excellent bedside manner, yeah. doctor. Mm-hmm. Just, ah, uh, I love it. Yeah. The, all, all in all, this what has been have... one of the best Lucy episodes. Uh, yeah. So good. And Dave uh, praises her skills and yeah, well, we're not done with Dave quite yet as he goes back out into the main ER and gets confronted by Carrie about asking around regarding her leg. And he tries to dance around it, saying there was a misunderstanding. And I just love the way Carrie shuts him down here, just ice cold. He's like, yeah, it was none of my business. And she was like, yeah, it wasn't. And just leaves it at that. And it's like, oh, Yes! Give me more of that. Like, inject that directly into my veins, please. Love it. Because he kind of does take over the Doug role in that case of, like, a chief mm-hmm. carry adversary. Like, but in yeah. a much more satisfying way because in many ways, Doug and Carrie were kind of equals. Like, Doug and Carrie, Doug could kind of hang on Carrie's level a little bit. Whereas Dave right. has no such illusions about being able to hang on Carrie's level. And so she gets to just fucking own him at every turn. And it is <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Cannot wait for more. Uh, we then see Romano making a cameo appearance. Where the fuck has he been this whole episode? Like he shows up basically for a token wave at the end of the episode to bug Mark about the fight with Mr. Perez. Uh, says that they're looking at one hell of a lawsuit and he insists on a formal apology to Mr. Perez from Mark, uh, which Mark is all too happy to oblige. Um, We then see uh, Jeannie calling in uh, to talk to Mark or Carrie, tells Mark that uh, she might be in a little bit late tomorrow. Carlos is doing okay, but he's just a little wheezy. And uh, me thinks we are setting the stage to say goodbye to one Mm -hmm. one Miss Boulay. I did panic, and I was like, is this the last we get? Does she just quit over the phone the next episode? Like, no, I, I know that I, I don't remember exactly what happens next episode. I do I do remember her last scene. Like, I remember basically it's her walking out of the ambulance bay is kind of how we leave her. But I don't remember the specifics of what happens next episode. But I do know that's it for her. So we'll see. You left me with this one. <laughs> Y'all left me with this one. Speaking of things being over. Speaking of things we didn't want to see or talk about or think about or. uh, uh, uh. So Carter knocking at Elaine's door, which I noted in caps lock, leave it alone. Go away. Stop. No means no. She said goodbye. Fuck off. I could keep going. Um, He leans down and kisses her. 
and kind of pushes his way in. Like, she she walks away to, like, let him in, but he just kind of, like, he's like, yeah, I'm a white man. I'm just going to come into your house. Me, 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 me. And he, and, like, she's standing in her bathrobe. I just want to note that. She's standing in this beautiful plush robe, clearly having an evening. And he's, like, holding her from behind and, like, kissing her neck and stuff. And it's supposed to be kind of seductive and, like, mm, like, it's just gross. And, and yeah, it's like, he says, if you want me to leave, just say so. As he's holding her and starting to take her robe off. And she looks so uncomfortable, like not into this at all. And I understand they were trying to play like the whole, um, you know, giving into your baser urges and like not like kind of essentially coercion. This is coercion. This is not consent. This is coercion. This is not fucking great. Um, but on a, on a kind of good note, they actually, when she turns to face him, they do show her surgical site. Mm. Like they make no qualms of covering it up from that aspect. Like her robe is open and you can see the surgical site and everything. And I thought that was really important. Like, yeah, the rest of the scene is creepy as hell, but I thought that this right here, if we're going to take anything away from Elaine's story, it's that, you know your mastectomy is not the end of your life. Mm -hmm. Like you are still a woman and (laughs) you are fine. But, and they actually show this and then she tries to cover it up hesitantly and he moves her hands. And I just like, I understand the message they were trying to convey Mm -hmm. with this, but did it have to be his cousin? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe don't tell this story with the, uh, ex family member. He could have, he could have met a perfectly charming patient who had happened to be up in radiology and like do this same bit or like they meet at docs and then he realizes she's a radiology patient for you know getting stuff done for oncology like there were so many other ways they could have done this and still had this poignant important moment about still being wanted and all the complexities that go into Mm -hmm. um you know breast cancer issues like sorry i'm not very eloquent tonight but y'all get what i mean like they could have done it and not have it be his goddamn cousin Yeah. yeah Yep. So, the evil is defeated. Yeah. The international nightmare oh, is over. Boy. Maybe one of the most viscer- viscerally uncomfortable storylines we have ever covered. Like, just from beginning to end has just been a fucking slog to get through, and I've hated every second of it. Except for the bit with her and, and uh, Elizabeth. Like, the, the yes. one part of the storyline that didn't involve Carter, that was the part that was worth saving. Every All the rest of this should die in a fire. But, like, this... And again, like, much like with the, um, the Lucy and Carter bit from last season where there was that mm-hmm. whole brief flirtation with maybe we should hook these two up, and we were like, eh, this is uncomfortable, I don't like this, gross. And... Then later on, we had that much better moment where it was Lucy got to take charge and Lucy got to, like, have her thing. I think you could have done that with this moment here. Yes, the cousin thing would have still been problematic, but had you made it... Because early on in the episode, they kind of portray it as, like, she's... Like, Stella's got her groove back. Like, she's going to Europe and she's going to, like, you know, do her thing in Europe and, like, do whatever. Like, she's figured it out. And they could have done something with that here where, like, maybe he's the one that's not sure if he can handle it. And then she just shows up and is like, bam, bitch, like, and just asserts her dominance. That could have been better. But this is like, this is gross. And like you said, there's weird consent 
things involved and just unsatisfying end to an unsatisfying storyline yeah it's it's not great again coercion is not consent no means no he could have stopped about eight episodes ago and it still would not have been soon enough yes even three episodes before (laughs) this (laughs) if he like again stop this this season six storyline in late season five that would have been great and i understand what they what I think they hoped to portray with this and where they went. But then again, after some of the conversations we've had, we've learned the writers maybe were not as uh, intentional with some of these as we thought they were. But I can I can hope the intent was good and just it was a poor execution. <laughs> yeah, I think what we're finding out from some of these conversations we're having with some of the writers, which, you know, you'll get there eventually. Just just wait, oh, just wait until you so just ready. wait until you catch up. Just just know that we've been having some very interesting conversations with a variety of different people and I'm very excited for you all to hear them. But what we're sort of learning is that with a lot of things in the writers room, particularly at this time in the nature of storytelling week to week rather than doing things in like big blocks like they do now where they do sort of construct season-long narratives all at one time. Um, at least at this point in time where it was like very much week to week and things were much more broad strokes, there was sort of doing the Michael Scott thing of like, I'm going to start a sentence and hope I find my way to the end of it along the way. <laughs> like it's that sort of thing where it's like, they didn't necessarily know where they were going with a given storyline when they started it and just sort of hoped that they would figure it out along the way, which to me as a like compulsive, like planner and wanting to find deeper meaning and things and like, that's horrifying to me because I'm like, well, I, I'm, I'm always assuming and, and like, you know, looking at these things with the best of intentions of like, they had all this stuff planned. No, they didn't. Like my, my joke was as an AP English nerd, um, I was taught everywhere. Look for additional meaning, right. look for additional themes, look for additional layers. Like it's, it's how you, and part of it is it's how you critically analyze work. It's how you, take more out of art than what is given. That's great. But then it ruins me for shit like this, where I'm turning around asking these writers, like, <laughs> hey, what about this Tuesday episode when this happens and, you know, a horse shits on Jerry? What did that mean about the state of America? And they're like, a horse shit on Jerry. What, what, more what were you, you trying to say about the American healthcare system when that horse shit on Jerry? <laughs> but but they're like, if... It, it, it doesn't, no, mean, it doesn't anything. mean anything and that's fine it doesn't have to but it's just the way we've been brought up to critically ana- analyze texts and things like this this is this show is a complete passion project of me being an ap english dork and needing somewhere to put that energy 12 yeah. years later 14 years later god when did i, Esse- I mean, yeah, uh, essentially uh, um, essentially the the like the 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 baseline of of the the feedback that we've gotten from some of these conversations is basically like, you're giving us too much credit. <laughs> like basically yeah. like we, they were like, we didn't, it's not that we didn't plan anything. It's, so we didn't plan. It, everything. Right. It's like with certain things you do sort of just like go with the flow and figure out what works and like kind of mold it as needed from there. And which it makes it all the more strange that they started out with this being, uh, dis, you know, not distant, but like, tangential family member like it seems to me like you do it in reverse like it seems to me like you would do it as like oh you know we're gonna tell this breast cancer storyline and and body positivity and and learning to love yourself after a a life-changing procedure like that if that's what they if that's what they were going going for. for and then maybe at the end if you wanted to throw a twist in there just to be fucking weird about it it would be like oh i used to be married to your cousin you know 
And then every but you were too young to remember. Right, and right? and then everybody could go, oh wow, that's gross. Let's never talk again. And instead, they yeah. did it in the reverse. And I just don't. I don't know. I mean, anytime we talk to a, anytime we talk to a writer from now on, I want us to say, so in your time on the show, on a scale of the Star Wars sequel <laughs> trilogy to Breaking Bad, how much did you actually that, put forethought into that is an, your storyline? That is an excellent way to look at it because if you listen to the Breaking Bad podcast, that's done by like that show team which by the way brilliant podcast if you want a show breakdown go listen to those after watching breaking bad it is one of the most rewarding listens same with the better call saul stuff so good but they they talk about how meticulously some of this stuff was in their writer's room and but yeah it it just it just does go to show though what a fallacy it is to have come of age in an era of television and storytelling like we did where like the stuff that was popular when we were coming out of high school and, and first in college and like sort of forming our tastes and opinions on things was stuff like Breaking Bad and Mad Men and like that type of like tighter, more cohesive storytelling where everything is a symbol and everything has deeper meaning and everything kind of flows and feeds one right into the other. And then going back and looking at something like this, which is far more traditional, like, yes, it was groundbreaking at the time, but it's still very much in the, um, yeah network television mold it's there's 22 of them there's always a fucking christmas episode there's always a you know like there's always certain episodes per and even even one of the writers we talked to said that there's always one or two episodes a season that are just you're just punt you're just punting like you you just the nature of cranking out 22 of those every year you're gonna have one or two dogs and it's just interesting how our brains work that like we're trying to apply this much more modern standard onto something that informed a lot of that storytelling later on kind of laid a, f- a framework for it but didn't necessarily apply and play by the same rules so it's just very interesting how that works yeah okay lizzie do you want to take us into our last audio clip yeah sure so let's uh finally finish this episode with our final audio clip here uh carrie's headed to her car and sees gabe in the parking lot gabe hey carrie everything all right? I think somebody stole my car. What? I never leave it unlocked. I thought maybe I did. I don't know. I, I, you know, I left the house in such a hurry this morning. And are you sure you're on this level? What? Did you park on this level? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, every day I park on four, so I, you know, so I wanted to fight for a space. This is three. What an idiot. <laughs> you know, after a while, they all look the same. I swear, I'd, I'd forget my head if it wasn't attached. Do you want me to help you find it? No, 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 no. Thanks, please. I'll, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, good night, Gabe. Yeah, good night. This is where it Oof. killed me, because this was the kind of stuff that would happen to my dad. This was where we started realizing he was getting sick, was the coffee shop he'd go to with us all the time, you know, the the corner of Michigan that we were in and that he had, you know, watched us grow up in and had been around Mm -hmm. for, like, years that he would have known, like, the back of his hand. He suddenly couldn't remember how to get to the coffee shop anymore. And we'd, you know, so we couldn't be, he couldn't really drive anywhere anymore. And then... You know, we'd tell him how to do stuff on the bus, and then he'd forget how to do stuff on the bus and just be lost. 
And it was just this kind of stuff was how it started. What me, what for, for me, what hit in this scene in particular is the confused look mm-hmm. after Carrie mm-hmm. says, this is yeah. three. And just the, 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 like, oh shit, I fucked up. How do I, how do I get right, out of this? Yeah. With my, mm-hmm. with my, with my dignity intact. Yeah, there's there's mm-hmm. no, no just, avenue for him to deflect like there was earlier in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Which Ellen Alda, chef's kiss, perfection. Yeah. With the physical part of the acting there. But, the presentation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm fine. This is totally fine. We're not going to cry over the next couple episodes. It's totally fine. Oh, I'm next to I'm going to be a mess. I'm just going to be just prepare for terrible audio, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I know we sort of sound like a broken record at this point in the season, but like this is another like really solid episode that once again, the only part of it that doesn't really work is Elaine and Carter. Like that's the only part that sticks out like a sore thumb and you wish wasn't there, but everything else works pretty darn well, if not great. Yeah. It's a solid, solid eight, eight and a half. Yeah. For me. Yep. I know I'm trying to cut back on my big scores, but so far this has not been a letdown. So it's going to get an eight and a half. Okay. What the listeners have to say about it. I'm sure plenty. Jake Terrell Esquire says the only thing worse than Pete and Mad Men is Pete with this fucking haircut. The hair on this man. Uh, th- yeah, of course Jake would mention that. Yep. Michelle K says, I was so angry with Carol in this. Yes, Lucy, sh- yes, Lucy should have known better than to say, you're a nurse and I'm a... But, d- but Carol was way too emotional about it all. Also, why did the rehab doctor allow themselves to be swayed to getting a patient a non-physician-ordered rehab bed without even meeting the patient to determine if they meet the criteria? Could he have met her off screen? Maybe, but still... Here's a guy who is 100% a danger to himself since he's knowingly consuming toxic chemicals and doing cocaine who actually wants help and a pregnant woman who doesn't even want help, who doesn't want help, is literally being railroaded into rehab and ducks out anyway, all because Carol bullied her. Carol got way too invested in this woman all around just because she is also pregnant. Good Lord, carrying Doug Ross's spawn has anointed her with the power of the white knight, all caps. Not all caps, but white knight capitalized. And I am not defending drug use with a pregnant woman, but damn it, Carol, she screwed up everything. Now, a pregnant woman is going to avoid going back to the clinic to keep away from Carol, and a guy who wanted and needed help also isn't going to get treatment that he needs. Melinda S. says, Watching Alan Alda go from seasoned attending, working triage with confidence, to a confused man showing dementia symptoms in the span of two minutes is equal parts beautiful and devastating at the same time. He is a phenomenal actor, and I am so thankful he was a part of this season. Also, watching Malucci be made totally uncomfortable by a crying teenage girl, and then again as, and then again soon after by Carrie when she hears he is asking about his limp, is asking about her limp, pure gold. Allison F. says, Carrie Stan comment. As heartbreaking as it is, I love this episode and the Gabe storyline because it is one of the only real ties we get to Carrie's backstory. It's raw and real, and their conversation in the ambulance shows the concern and admiration she has for him and the pride he has for her. Chief of a major academic ER only three years after becoming an attending. Like, heck yeah! I like how they show the tension she faces because I feel like she brought Gabe in to have an ally. Mark, you don't get to ha- you don't have to get defensive, Carrie, defensively. I'm not. 
Props to the ER writers for disability representation. A lesser show would have used this for drama early on. Malucci nosing around is one of the only times a character is asking intrusive questions about Carrie's disability. And the show reiterates that it's none of his damn business and disabled people don't owe anyone their medical history. Snaps. Medical student comment. I'm curious how much Meg's storyline is dramatized versus the reality of how a person who uses drugs would be treated in the 90s. I, would, I will say that while ER holds up pretty well on a whole, sometimes the attitudes towards drug users are pretty eek. Nowadays, at least at the places where I've trained, the standard, care for, the standard of care for pregnant people who use opiates would definitely include medication-assisted treatment. Audrey T. says, Hey, that's the kid from the Sandlot. Lucy tried to warn y'all about Dr. Lawrence last episode and no one believed her. I wonder how many times Carter has been thrown through a window during the run of the show. LOL. Also, what happened to Carol's clinic? Did it get bobbed along with Lynette? That's a good point. I didn't, we haven't really talked about that, but it's kind of true. I don't think Carol's, I don't think the Hathaway clinic will ever be mentioned again. I don't think so. And at SMB for the win says, I've also spent all my money on painting supplies before and thus had no money for real therapy. Also, ingesting oil paint accidentally is super easy. Everyone needs some therapy, though. BetterHelp.com Ironically, I've been busy with my own painting-related projects this week, so it's a skimming catch-up for me. That being said, I feel for Lucy's painter patient. I've used painting as a supplemental therapy often. Legit can't wait to see my therapist next week. She is wonderful. Big pivot now! Romano's woolly comment about Mark. Just... No, I never want to see enough of Mark Green to know if he's woolly, but that's where my brain went. Clearly this jump from a woolly sacrificial lamb comment to Mark Green shirtless is something I need to bring up in therapy. <laughs> Shudders. The nightmares. Also, Burns Night was this past week. My kilt and single malt are happy. <laughs> Whew. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show, is pro- this show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash Podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week, and for only $5 a month, you can get a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews, and over 30 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a now-monthly bonus show called The Lounge. Thanks to, you all, thanks to you all for supporting us. We hit that stretch goal. Uh, where we, a bonus show called The Lounge where we talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives at that moment. Movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member and a flash forwards where we do a commentary track for future ER episodes. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Setting the Tone Podcast and we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also be sure to check out the official Setting the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me right here, plugging the fact that Daniel is a mad lad and created new merch for us because he can't stop designing stuff. Uh, some new STT logo inspired by the County General logo stuff. Mm-hmm. Mug. Sweatshirt and t-shirt, I believe. And all face great. masks now, too. And face masks. Yes, how could I get the masks? I want all of them. It looks so good. But there's that. And then also a reminder that for our patrons, the stickers may also include the Setting the Tone podcast logo, whose films are those cartoon of my fucking face, 
and the brand new Green Day ship sticker that Daniel also designed because Daniel's a mad lad and yeah. we can't we need to take his computer away from him guys he's unstoppable but there's so many stickers anyone anyone who's still a subscriber and has been with us since before 2022 i am getting to it i will have your i will have some a new another new sticker headed your way i know you we, just we had to resupply some stuff yeah so we're getting there um you can also find me on twitter i am at rent or I, no one else on twitter yeah. <laughs> You can find me on Twitter and <laughs> at Random Gamer. That's J M three R, as well as on the Popular Courts YouTube channel, playing doing a let's play of Mass Effect Two. New episodes of that are out every Friday, and you can find those videos and much, much more at YouTube.com/slash/ThePopularCourt. And thank you again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week. Mm-hmm.